Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. Dude, be tenacious. Just be driven. And it's going to sound weird, but like, get angry every day wake up like it's gonna be your last fucking like just grind and hustle and i know it sounds cliche and i feel like everyone says it all the time but it's like dude you gotta be your biggest motivator welcome to full comp a show offering insight into the hospitality industry featuring restaurateurs thought leaders and innovators served up on the house we live in a polite society we're taught the importance of asking for permission But what happens when you don't? What happens one day when you decide to just start a restaurant? No investors, no permit, no publicist, no permission. You just start. Today we chat with Logan Sandoval, who created Zeph Barbecue, a trendy barbecue joint on the edge of Los Angeles, located in his parents' garage. We discuss the inspiration behind starting the restaurant and what led to Zeph getting national media attention despite its humble beginnings. I was executive sue at the Hyatt Monterey up in Monterey, California, which is probably, I would say, like the top two resorts in the city, town. And it was a lot of fun. It's a great place to raise kids. And my wife and I had lived there 2017. We lived there and I was actually a chef tornot at the same spot. They ended up selling the hotel. I enjoyed my job. I liked the people that I worked with. My executive chef was awesome and he kind of just let me like stay on the floor and cook. My two sous chefs, Kevin and Pedro, were awesome. They were good friends of mine. They're both older than me, which was kind of weird. And I worked in tandem with them the first time I lived there. So I didn't know how the dynamic was going to switch with me coming back as their boss, but everyone just kind of like fell in line. But at the same time, like a big push was right before COVID came down and everyone lost their jobs and stuff is that I was working on a pretty like intimate, hardcore menu, chasing like this new restaurant concept in the hotel that they had started developing. And it was Mediterranean. And so I took it as a chance to not just do like your basic Greek and Italian food. I want to know like what they're eating in like Lebanon. What are they eating in Cairo? Like everyone wants to do like spaghetti and meatballs. We had those that kichi shit on there, which was cool. But I wanted to really explore the bigger picture of the Mediterranean. It was something I'm not familiar with. I've done sushi. Obviously, I've done barbecue. I've done thousands of meals in Chicago. I've done fine dining in San Francisco. So it's just like I have a really large background. And so like I just dug deep and I just like did a lot of research. We did a lot of mini testing, a lot of R&D. My GM loved it. My executive chef loved it. The F&B manager loved it. Went to corporate, came back. Too complicated for the demographic, too in-depth for our staff, which I think was the direct quotes. And I was like crushed because it was something where I like gone out of my way and out of my comfort zone because I could have totally just slapped a spaghetti and meatballs and a gyro plate on there. And I mean, if you love watermelon and feta, I got you. I appreciate it. So do I. But like (laughs) they wanted stuff like that, like the super basic and 
Monterey as a whole is pretty, it's a tourist town. People come for that and I get it. And that's what they wanted. And then like two or three weeks later, COVID came through and I thought I was going to be kind of safe because I sat on the executive, not board, but like the one beneath it. And I had a lot of respect for my peers and my colleagues at that hotel because I had worked there before. There was some crazy stuff when my executive chef was out. And then I kind of like stepped up to the plate when I was just a tornado when I didn't have to. And I kind of ran the kitchen for four months. And so, you know, it's a $4 million operation and it's decent money, but it was pretty crushing. But then COVID hit and we started doing barbecue, man. Before we get there, I still want to dig into your mindset. So were there any entrepreneurial twinges while you were at the Hyatt? Were you like, man, I just want to open my own place and do my own thing? Or were you into the corporate life? Nah, man, I love the corporate life. They would not let me work a sixth day. Because I was <laughs> one of those type of dudes, like even when I worked in Chicago and like the other places, I've always, not to like sound cocky or like arrogant or anything, but like I was always about the grind. Like I always wanted to work because when you work hard, you learn. And I always was trying to learn. When we were living in Chicago, I was the PM banquet chef and we would just pump meals out. 2,300 rooms, quarter million square feet of banquet space, just like pumping thousands and thousands, but everything was out of a box and it was a union. So I couldn't really touch nothing. So like on my off days, I went and staged at like Mission Star restaurants as like a 29 year old sous chef. And I was in my resume and these chefs that were like 27 who have these crazy resumes, just like, you want to come work for free? Like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to come work for free, bro. I'll do whatever. I'll stand in the corner, but I want to be fed by that environment. But I like the knowledge, but I never in a million, dude, honestly, no bullshit. Like I never thought about owning my own business or owning my own restaurant or owning anything. I was completely content with the 401k, the full benefit package, the $92,000 a year. I would work 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. and call it a day. When I left work, it was like, okay, here's work in this box and then I'm going home. And so, I mean, a lot of my friends and like some of my other people I went to school with, they did their own thing and some have become extremely successful in the fine dining game. And I just got not suckered in, but I was very, very comfortable. And in my mind, for the longest time, because I didn't grow up with a lot of money, single mom, two younger brothers, all the, the same song and dance. So in my mind, for some reason, six figures to me was like the goal. And that's why we moved. My daughter is five, but she's lived in five different states. I've lived in seven different states. My wife and I have lived in four different states. So it's like, there was always that next step of like, okay, I want more money. I want more money. And it became like more of a money hungry game and a comfortability game than it was like, I want passion. I kind of lost sight of that for a while. And that's why when we went to Chicago and literally one of the food meccas of the country were at my fingertips. I was like, nah, fuck this. Like, dude, I got to get out there. I got to meet people. I got to start doing stuff. And that was a very cush job. It was hard, but it was like, once again, you're in your box. When you leave work, work stays at work. There's 17 other sous chefs. You don't got to worry about shit, <laughs> you know? So the pandemic hits. You lose your job. Your <laughs> wife loses her job. You both yeah. find out that you had a rich uncle you didn't know about that left you $10 million and you opened the restaurant of your dreams. Bro, you would have never seen me again. I would have never <laughs> opened up a restaurant. I would have done, done any of this. You would have found us in the freaking like, like the Maldives or something. <laughs> or like, freaking living off the coast of Hawaii. But I feel you. I really do. Because when the pandemic hit and we shut down my restaurant, I was out on my butt and I had like, a young child and a wife to support and, yeah, and everybody's man. saying, 
what's next? What's the plan? And I said it on this show a lot before, but like, it sucks when you lose your job. It sucks when you lose your business. But like when your entire industry is decimated, what are you going to do next? And so you're in your house, you're sitting with your wife, you guys are trying to figure out what to do. How does that conversation roll out? So Anna lost her job before I did. She was a general manager at a restaurant called Hula's, which in my opinion, even though I worked up there, was is the best restaurant in the peninsula. You can quote me on that. It's old school Hawaiian f- food. They were busy all the time. Anna made great money. She liked her job. She liked the people she worked with. She liked managing people. They ended up shutting down first. Because I was up in the ranks, I had to go in. I think everything hit the fan like the 12th or the 13th, right? I had to go in on like the 17th and sit down like half my staff and be like, look, we're union property. You guys are all below. This is what we have to operate at. We have to furlough you. And that sucks because you build a team and you talk to a team and these are the people that help lift you up. And like I said, like I was one of those guys I was always on the floor. I was in before everyone and I was leaving after everyone else left because I was just like that dude. I was the driving force of the operation. Build it, construct it, freaking run it. And so Anna lost her job. And what makes it weird is we had just transferred from Chicago back to Monterey. And we'd been living in the hotel for like three months. And if you know anything about Monterey, it is hella expensive. And so we were having a hard time finding an apartment, finding a house, whatever. And so we were living in the hotel still. Because like, once again, dude, when that shit hit, everything shut down. And so my parents reached out to us and they were like, hey, why don't you come down? bring the kid down. We can all hang out. No one's working. I know you don't want to stay in the hotel room. So Anna came down first. And then two days later, I finally got the call. And then I took the train down from Monterey. And so I have a group text with my buddies from high school. And they were basically like, bro, like you should sell barbecue. Because I've been doing it as like a hobby. I've been posting about it on Instagram. I was like super into it. We tried to actually implement a barbecue program in the sports bar while the other restaurant was closed down as they were remodeling. And it just didn't take off, man. But it gave me three months of training like for this in retrospect, which is wild to me. So my buddies were just like, dude, just sell barbecue. And so like I text my wife, I'm like, yo, like, how do you feel? Should we try something? And she's like, well, I don't know. Like, this would be a good time for like us to all spend time together, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, I'm one of those type of dudes where just like, if I'm not constantly doing something, I'm going to lose my sanity. I hate the quote, but like the kitchen raised me. I started cooking when I was 19. I was still in culinary school. I had stages and then moving across the country. Like the kitchen really defined a big part of me. So to lose that identity was really, really hard. And to think about sitting around for it, because at the time, remember, they were like, oh, it's two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks. And it was not two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) A year and a half later, we're all still trying to get vaccinated and get everything squared away. Dude, it's wild. But that was like a real conversation where we weren't hurting. We had savings put aside. And so it's not like we were like ass out. But at the same time, we were like, well, I want to just like sit around like staring at each other and stuff. So when I got into see me, we like talked about it again. And the way I kind of put it, it was like, yeah, the money's good now. But what happens in that two weeks? What happens if it goes on for like six months? Like you said, the hospitality went from just operating super heavy. I don't even know the word to explain it, but like, and it just stopped. Before people got into like the takeout game and before people got into the curbside pickup and like the pop-ups and stuff like we're doing, dude, there was a really big chunk of time, which was like a week and a half, two weeks where we were just like, dude, I've been in the industry for 10 years. My wife had been in the industry for 11 years. All of us, this is all we ever fucking knew. I can't just go pick up a desk job. I can't just like remote zoom into a kitchen. 
it was very scary as not just a adult and not just as an industry person, but as like a father. That was scary. But we had the very hard conversation, like, how are we going to feed our kids? It's like, you can't come back to see me and have like a 14 course tasty menu. So I was like, fuck, dude, like, let's try barbecue. And dude, that first weekend we sold out and it was wild. I think it was like 30 orders or something. We were cooking off a little 120 and I'd never used like a big smoker before, but I was like, let's get into it. Let's freaking try it out. It took off, man. I never thought in a million years I'd be doing these podcasts. I got investors on the doorstep, like Eater and stuff. It's just like, like, got to have dinner with Burt Backlund last week. It's so wild, you know? So let's talk about that. You opened a restaurant <laughs> in the front yard of your parents' house with yeah. no investor capital, no permitting, no PR team, no physical restaurant. And I think the lead time, if I read this correctly, between like you locking in the concept and the first day you opened was like three or four days, right? Yeah. And at first just started off as like just me doing stuff. Obviously now it's evolved to where I wouldn't be able to do it without her. I tell people if I'm like the heart and the soul of Zeph Barbecue, like Anna is definitely the backbone and the fucking brain because she does all the talks, she does all the emails. She gives me a chance to just like cook and then do the Instagram and do that kind of stuff. But like, as far as like opening, I caught the train on Sunday, Monday, I wrote a menu we blasted it, blasted it, blasted over our a total of like 1500 followers on between Facebook and Instagram. And dude, I was doing like dirt too, where I was DMing people and I was emailing people and I was blasting Facebook messages. First off two, three weeks prior, my episode of Supermarket Stakeout had aired as well. So like I had that going for me too, which kind of worked out pretty well. It's the same thing that anyone grew up like in a small town. You grow up with these people and your Facebook friends and your Instagram friends and stuff, and they see your journey because social media is such an integral part of our lives now. And so people watched me cook and watched me evolve and watched me go to all these different places. And so now people got the chance to eat my food and they really jumped at it. And it was old high school friends. They had to move back home too. It was old teachers. It was my wrestling coach. It was my judo coach. It was people that were just like showing up out of like the woodwork that were just like, yeah, I'll pay $21 for a pound of brisket. I've never tried before. And so Wednesday morning, we capped it at like 30 orders and we sold out in 30 minutes, which I thought was just like astronomical. And then like Thursday, I went to freaking Smart and Final and I bought three brisket and some racks of ribs and with money that we just had in our checking account, like savings account and stuff and started cooking like Friday night and then served Saturday and it was on like Donkey Kong. And then we did well. I think we made like 900 bucks <laughs> and I was just like, dude, let's do it again this weekend. And then the following weekend ended up being like Mother's Day or some shit or something like that. And that really went well. And then the next week it went really well. And then the following week it went really well. And then I was like, I think we might be like, onto something. And then we started gaining followers and traction and people were talking about us on like the Simi Valley Foodies group. It's just wild, man, because there is no Texas style barbecue in Simi Valley. And because at the time, everyone like we hit it at the perfect time. Do we hit it and hit it hard when everyone was like readjusting to like doing takeout and doing curbside pickup? And we were just like, let's take that and just apply it to this. We bought a stamp with that barbecue on it and we stamped all the bags. We bought stickers, we bought business cards, you know, and just really hit it hard from the ground up. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. 
Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop, it keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 sanitizing spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. Well, and in looking back, I'm curious to know if you were to talk high level, what did that teach you about living your dreams? I mean, so many people are sitting on go, right? Like waiting for permission to live their lives and follow their dreams. And look at you. Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't even know I had a dream until like April of 2020 when I was like, this is like working. And it was even before like the Eat article and like all the Globe and stuff too that I really realized. I think it was like our fourth or fifth venue when I was like, I'm going to start making curries. I'm going to start making pastrami. I'm going to do ramen. I'm going to do birria. I'm going to do street meats. I'm going to do Peking duck. I'm going to make my own spam musubi because you know what? I fucking can. And no one's going to tell me no. No one's going to tell me I can't do it. And you know what? If two people buy it, dope. I will make it the best that I can for those two people. It was a really, I want to put it as far as like enlightening, but it was very awakening for myself. And we started doing these things that end up being staples like the spam. People go crazy for our smash burgers. And you know, like the smash burgers literally were developed out of the fact that we weren't making enough revenue on the Saturdays. So I was taking all the brisket trim. I was grinding that down, using it for the burgers. I was taking the fat. I was rendering that down to use my fat and my buns. And people were like, oh my God, you're so fancy. You're doing all this shit from scratch. I'm like, no, I'm broke. <laughs> That's why I'm doing this shit. That's why I'm making 120 buns out of my home oven at one o'clock in the morning is because I'm trying to make money. I can't afford to go buy nice artisan buns. I got to do it myself. And if you were to talk to somebody that was to open a restaurant in the next three months, based off your experience over the last year, what advice would you give them based off everything you've seen and done? Dude, be tenacious. Just be driven. And it's going to sound weird, but like, get angry every day. Wake up like it's going to be your last fucking like just grind and hustle. And I know it sounds cliche and I feel like everyone says it all the time, but it's like, dude, you got to be your biggest motivator. And like, don't worry, like, I have a great support team where it's like my wife, my cousin's basically my left-hand man. My daughter's godfather does all of our graphics and it like helps on Saturdays. His brother helps us. Dude, I have a fantastic support group. And like, dude, my mom let me cook out of her garage the first time. These guys at Barbecue HQ here in Simi Valley, like let me use the cooker every week. And like, they let me store it there and shit. So it's just like, bro, like I have a huge support group. It's not just me. I'm the driving force. But dude, there's so many other elements, so many other people. And it's just even like the customer just showing up to buy this. So, I mean, advice that I would give to someone that wants to open up a restaurant is you got to want it. I didn't even realize I wanted it until a couple months ago, even after doing it for almost a year, I didn't realize like this was going to be a thing until like Hyatt called me. It was like, yo, like getting the crew back together, getting the homies back together. And I was like, you know what? We left on very good terms and they were very supportive. And I told them like, I don't know if I'll ever have this chance again. And this was even before like the Eat article and shit. So I told him straight up, I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever have this chance again. And I didn't know this is something I always wanted, but I do now know that it's something I always wanted. And I'm going to chase until the wheels fall off. Was that a hard decision to make? I mean, high yeah. calls, they offer you the job security, the 401k, clocking out whenever you want. Honestly, Josh, like it's literally what I'd been chasing. My entire career was given back to me in a nice little box. They weren't going to bring the two sues back. 
there was other people that weren't going to come back, but they were like, we want you, the executive chef, and you to come back, and we are going to reinstate stuff, and we're going to slowly open back up, and we're going to bring team members back. We want to hire new people. They had this whole thing, and they sent me a PowerPoint. They laid it all out on thing, and I was like, look, I really appreciate it. Like, I really, really appreciate it, and it's super flattering that you would offer me a chance to come back and be reinstated, but I'm going to run this thing until the wheels fall off. I'm like, I might call you in six months begging for my job back. I truly might, but... I don't want to be 50 or 60 and sitting there and drinking my cocktail and smoking my cigar and be like, God, what would have happened? Sure. I got this nice pension and this 401k and living retired at 62 and living the fucking dream, the American dream. Right. But damn, what would it have been like to really chase that really like be a part of it? And that's what like Anna and I are doing now. Well, and what does the future of Zeph look like? Dude, it changes by the day, if not by the minute, (laughs) it changes quite a bit because now We really have people making serious offers to us about brick and mortar, the possibility of like, I can't talk to it, but like going overseas, possibly. There's just a lot of moving parts right now, man. And Anna and I are doing a good job of just like trying to keep everything in line and still stay humble because we're only a year in. I mean, we're in May. So like our first cook was April 4th. I smoked my first brisket June of 2019. So I haven't even been doing barbecue for that long. So it's a lot to compute and it's a lot to take in. So we're trying to take it slowly. I mean, dude, after that Eatercle article hit, it was email. You know, we have restaurant space. We want you here. We want here. And I were just like, yo, no, like I'm not mentally ready for that. And I don't want to lose the authenticity. I don't want to lose the Zeph of Zeph barbecue. Because that's what it's been about. It's about being weird. It's about growing out my beard like a psycho and like having long, crazy hair, wearing short shorts and tank tops that I spent so long trying to be this corporate guy, the snazzy white coat. And like, dude, my beard was trimmed every single day. There was not a follicle out of place. I would have to take out my gauges. At some of the places I had to cover up my tattoos. I was very like prim and proper. And now it's like, if this isn't what you like, then I'm sorry. You can go to another barbecue spot. So we're taking our time. But now Anna and I have been having some serious conversations about growth and expectations and since the article has come down, we've been very, I mean, we've always been about quality, obviously, but quality is pertinent above anything else. It comes before ticket times, it becomes before food costs. I'm a big advocate for serving quality food. And so if that means I got to stay up a couple extra hours, or I don't sleep for a day, or I don't sleep for two days, or I'm spending a little bit more on brisket, especially because like meat prices right now are going fucking crazy. That's just a big part of it for me. So to expand, you always lose the quality in some sort of capacity. So I'm trying to just take the right steps that we never lose that edge. Because now the eyes are on us. We have the e-article, we have podcasts, we have these other write-ups and different magazines and stuff. And we were in the UK, we've been a Voyager, there's Eater. Eater's coming back out in July to film like a Smoke Point episode. So like the eyes are on us more than ever. And I don't want to hiccup and miss that step. And it's slowly... So we're hiring people on. That's why we're getting like more familiar with different like SOPs. We're looking for space, like just commissary space or like ghost kitchen space. I go see at least like three different places a week because that's like the next big step. As far as like brick and mortar, I mean, more than likely, probably. It's, it's scary to think about. It's truly humbling. But yeah, man, I think that's the goal now. When you envision your life five years from now, what are you doing every day? Man, you really come with the heavy hitters, huh? (laughs) Five years from now, I will be turning 37. 
honestly, the day to day, I hope I'm doing relatively the same thing because I truly enjoy it. I hope I'm not operating at such a high intensity where I'm literally running my ass off like every day of the week and we have SOPs put together. But I, not that I want to flight like a legion of Zeph barbecue restaurants, but like one or two that I can like float between and really keep an eye off of. And I know we keep talking about Burt Backman, but I mean, that man's someone to look up to because like he did slab and now he's doing Santolina, which is a complete pivot from barbecue. But barbecue gave him the platform to do what he wanted to do. My buddy Jamar always used to say it when I was living in Louisville. was like, you got to do what you have to do to do what you want to do. So if barbecue gives me the platform to open up a restaurant where I can cook barbecue and my guys can cook barbecue for five days a week, and then one night a month or two nights a month, we do a 14 course wine pairing dinner. That would be amazing. Cause like, I really do still miss that, but like, you got to do what you have to do. Cause like, I can't just like stop and start serving sushi. Like next week when we're going to employees only Tom Sopit, the owner, he's super cool. He's like, dude, just do whatever you want. He's like, you don't have to do barbecue. But I'm like, no, but people are showing up for barbecue. I would love to do a million other things, but that is the lens that we're living in now, which is perfectly fine. So if we could have a couple spots and a place where I could creatively express myself more, even more than I already am, that's what I'm kind of like, looking for and have the SOPs and the people in places where I don't have to worry about the fire because that's like barbecue is 75%, 80% of your job. It's not trimming the brisket. It's not cutting the brisket. It's not seasoning the brisket. It's managing that fire and making sure there's no spikes, no dips because it has to be consistent for like 16 hours. And it sounds easy, but it's a fucking game, man. And like during the winter, when Simi Valley was dipping down to like 35, 40 degrees at night, it's hard and you got to manage your wood because you can't go buy wood anywhere at 3 a.m. when your fire is dying. So it's leaving those things behind. We call it an issue like the chopping onion jobs. I don't want to sit in a corner and tourne anymore. So I'm going to hire people to tourne so I could go do the cool shit. Go host a Food Network show on Tuesday and make sure that like all my mise en place is done for like my 18 course wine pairing fine dining menu on Wednesday. And then hopefully just sell that barbecue for like a bajillion dollars or retire. Sounds good. Count me in. <laughs> it's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement you'd like to share? Yeah, honestly, I love you all. Keep doing what you're doing. And I know shit can get messy and get pretty downtrodden, especially now. And because there's so much uncertainty and there's just so much going on and things opening up and closing back down and opening up. And like all of us are just like left in limbo. Just stay the course. If you got to leave, leave. Don't think you have to be married to this thing. I've met a lot of people who've just like dipped out and gone to do other things and they're much more happy. But if you have a passion for it, don't get down on the dumps, work through it. Like just keep fucking killing it because it's still uncertain. I know all your friends and all your colleagues and all your homies are going back to work and they're getting vaccinated and everything's going back to normal. Dude, the industry's not going to be normal, probably never again, ever again. And so we just have to, as entrepreneurs, as restaurant owners, as cooks, shit, as porters, as dishwashers, we got to keep the driving force going because people are always going to want to eat and people are always going to eat good food. And that's what we're here for. That's Logan Sandoval. For more on Zeph Barbecue, visit ZephBarbecue.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, 
go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.